It's car con carne. Let's eat in the car. It's car con carne. And welcome to Carcon Carne on Valentine's Day. You know, when it comes right down to it, when you think about love, when you think about romance, you think about the band Tomahawk. Dwayne Dennison, guitarist, co-founder of Tomahawk, co-founder of the Jesus Lizard, guitarist without peer, joins me. Uh, Dwayne, it's so good to see you. Thank you, James. Thanks for having me. Uh, likewise, nice to maintain some contact with the Midwest, Sweet home Chicago. I, I was thinking it's probably been literal decades since I spoke to you. Uh, I, of course saw you from afar more recently. I think the most recent time I saw you was at Riot Fest when the Jesus Lizard played, which was 2017, maybe? 2018, I think. Okay. And I'm at an age now where I can take my kids to see the bands I'm into and have been into for a while. So I, I talked my son into going to see the Jesus Lizard that night. I think you guys were playing opposite Jerry Lee Lewis and Interpol. Well, I know for sure you were playing opposite Interpol. Yes, uh, I remember that. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, my son had never seen seen or heard you before. So this was like a, a first time experience. I think what won him over, like, you know, well, Yao, of course, was in the crowd, I think, before you played your first chord. I, I think what won him over, there was some sound bleed, as happens at festivals. Yeah. And uh, Interpol was bleeding over to the Jesus Lizard. And David Yao, being David Yao, said something along the lines of, Hi, we're Interpol. Suck a dick. And then right into the new song. <laughs> so that, that made him a fan for life. But Jesus Lizard aside, Tomahawk is back. The band yeah. Tomahawk. Uh, it's been a little bit. It's been eight years. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. So you've only heard the single, right? Because right. you're not um, you're not hooked up with the publicist. Who, I'll, I'll see what I can do. I'll, I'll try to get you a link to the to the album. So you've only heard the single. But, but yeah, um, yeah, let's. We, Let's start there. I mean, okay. I'd love to hear the whole album, obviously. Uh, let's start with the single. The, the first taste of it is business casual. Um, the first thing you hear when you hear this song is, is a very sinister sounding bass. Then Mike Patton comes in with his falsetto and then things shift gears. Then we, we get full board Dwayne Dennison on the track. This is a great, I mean, if, if this is a shape of what's to come. I, I'm all in. Oh, thank you. Yeah, the response has been pretty mostly pretty, pretty great so far and from the album too. So I'm kind of excited. Um, thanks. Yeah. We thought, you know, I'm not always a good, the good one to choose a single, you know? So you, you have a couple of prospective songs that the band members, we say, what about this? What about that? And then you kind of let the label run it past people and see what they think. And then they said, okay, let's just put this out. We'll put a very simple placeholder video to go with it where almost nothing happens. And away we go. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm fairly happy with it. You know, some people I've seen some, a little touches of negativity here and there, and I want to just jump in and go, it's only one song. You've only heard one song. Jesus Christ, give it a chance. Um, but it's mostly great. So uh, yeah, thanks. And, and lyrically, it doesn't make me feel awesome about working an office job, but here we are. Uh, <laughs> and only Mike Patton could make us want to sing along with the lyrics, bad cholesterol, business casual. He has a knack for choruses. He has a knack for writing things that people, dumb things that people will sing along with, whether it's that, or you want it all you can't or whatever all his life. And it's funny. I was talking to him about that the other day because um, it's funny. He doesn't consider himself um, to be a necessarily a great lyricist. 
And, and I, and I said, well, my, you know, here's my view of that. Number one, most people who do consider themselves to be great lyricists kind of do to me, do dull music. The music suffers as a result, whether it's, I'm sorry, whether it's Bob Dylan or Steve or Nick or whoever, then the music is secondary. And, um, and secondly, Mike writes good choruses. He yeah. writes these things that kind of jump up out of the song and gives you something to shoot for. And so um, that's, I, I think, a good example of that. So with this album coming out next month, I, I guess we know how you spent your quarantine. Well, no, actually, um, we started this well before. We, this album, we started working on this like two, three years ago. And I started doing demos, writing the songs and demoing them at home before that, like four years ago. So this has been in the pipeline for a while. And in our case, the, um, the quarantine worked in our favor because um, Mike being Mike, we had most of it ready done almost and we were getting it close. He had already done vocal demos. We knew exactly what we're gonna do pretty much. And, but he's always doing other things, other projects, other collabos, whatever you wanna call it. And so with the quarantine that forced him to stay home and finish our goddamn album. <laughs> <laughs> it did. Yeah. Glass half full. It did yeah. work in your favor. So it did work in our favor. And now we're, we've got the jump on everyone. Don't we? We've got something out. Well, and you, you mentioned it. I mean, Patton's got so many different things, whether it's you know, Mr. Bungle, Phantom Mouse, Peeping Tom, et cetera. But I mean, you've certainly worked with a diverse range of, of players and bands. I've got to think that for both of you, having that diversity of experience and collaborative energies has got to help with the creativity. It's got to help with whatever you pour into Tomahawk. Um, yeah. And playing with different people, it brings out a different side of you. Just like, like hanging out with different people sometimes brings out a side of you that maybe you don't always indulge, shall we say. And it's the same with musicians. And so um, for us, this is where we get back to just play, you know, some hard rock, do some things that are, noisy uh, uh well with mike though he, he's such a um such a uh, what's the word simple word um versatile singers versatile vocalists that yeah we can do noisy aggressive agitated dissonant jagged asymmetrical rock but we can also do the sort of spaghetti westerns or or soundtracky cinematic you know even lush sounding songs and have him sing a melody so it's nice for me i can write stuff with that in mind. And the way you just described the sound of Tomahawk, it, it was like straight out of like a rock critics, uh, like handbook. Like I, I expect all those words to be used to describe the new Tomahawk album. Yeah. There, there's always a hint of danger. I, I think to Tomahawk, I, I wouldn't describe anything you do as straightforward per se. Um, there's drama in, in, in what the band does, but listening to it in general, I've always felt that this is art for its art for art's sake. It's, creativity leading you wherever it's going to lead you and doing whatever you want to do with it. I suppose, um, you know, any, any sort of creative endeavor though, with any, any sort of thing where you're going to go take the trouble to record it and, um, uh, you know, make it sound good, mix it properly, master it properly, and then package it, distribute it, etc. Anytime you're doing that, you are still always somewhat, aware of the fact that it is still commercial and that um, you have to sell a certain amount of them or you can't afford to do this anymore. 
if nothing yeah. else, if nothing else, you have to have a certain amount of success with it or you can't, you'll have to lower your, your um, whatever, not expectations, well, that expectations and just the way you do your business. And so, yes, well, fortunately with the label we're on, Mike's own label, Ipecac, and with the audience we've built up over the years, we can kind of do whatever we want. And some of it, if other people like it along the way, that's great too. Um, but um, it's not necessarily like a total free-for-all. If it was, Mike would be doing just free improv, avant-garde, you know, stuff all the time. But it's just like, it's really, right? It's just like running a restaurant. You can't just keep coming up with these far-flung crazy recipes and expect your regulars to buy them. No, you have to, you have, to have the, the meat and potatoes on there too that people want. And that's what pays for the experiments. Very well said. Very so good. given the gap between Tomahawk releases, in some respects, you're reintroducing the band after eight years. So yeah, let's let's go back previously on Tomahawk. Um, Oddfellows was a pretty straightforward continuation of where you guys were around the time of your second album. Tonic and Mobility comes out next month. What's new or different? What, what are you most excited for us to hear on the new um, album? I feel like Mike and I, we even talked about how this album is kind of a summing up. Like we, there are references all throughout this album to bits and pieces on the first two albums um, deliberately because we don't know how much longer we're going to be doing this. And we wanted to sort of reference that as well as go, just keep going in, in a relatively new direction. Um, so I'm excited about that. And I'm excited about, um, the person who um, co-produced with us is a local Nashville guy, Paul Allen, and um, he's younger than us. He's probably 20-some years younger than me, at least, and I think um, has more of a younger person's ear for making things sound modern and making it sound like it's contemporary and relevant and not you're not trying to recreate a sound from the past, like it's cleaner, drier, straightforward. There's, there's a lot of spaciousness on this album that wasn't there on some of the previous ones where it was really busy, maybe even cluttered sometimes with samples and things. This one, there's not that much of that. There's keyboards, there's electronics here and there. Um, there's a fair amount of backing vocals, Mike doing wacko stuff with that. And there's a lot of guitars. But so the spaciousness and sort of re referencing the, the earlier stuff. That sounds awesome. Thinking ahead to Actually, not even. Let, let's, let's go back a little bit. Um, if I were to throw out some Tomahawk song titles, would you be willing to give me your first impression or first thoughts? If I can remember which, <laughs> which ones are which, been sure. A, it's been a little bit. Okay, let's start with 101 North. 101 North. Okay, yeah, from the first album. That was one of those riffs. Um, you know, the whole the Hitchhiker saga, and then that grinding riff that just sort of cycles around. It takes a it's only three different chords, but it takes a long time to go around before it comes back to the downbeat. And so from a musical angle, I thought that was interesting. The vocal melody. Um, that was the kind of song that I remember saying to Mike, if I was walking down the street and a car went by and that was blasting out of the car window, I'm not sure I would want to hang out with those guys. <laughs> okay. Or and maybe it, I would. I think I would. I'd probably have a good time, actually. Well, I'm glad the... I'm glad the first thing you, you said was riff related because that to me, that's that's what drew me to that song is your riffs. I mean, that's 
That's Dwayne Dennison right there. And he made cool spacey sounds on that song too. There was a lot of little harmonics and feedbacky guitars in the background. And um, yeah. All right. Cradle song. Cradle song. Okay. That was from uh, what anonymous, right? Mm-hmm. And, and that was a reworking of a native American song that had been collected by um, this ethnomusicologist from the time. Let me grab the book. Yeah. Uh, Natalie Curtis, who was working with a grant from then President Teddy Roosevelt to go around and collect songs. And she kept put them in that book. And that book has been referenced for a while. And so it's public domain. And we thought, well, we are Tomahawk. Let's see what happens. And w- that was one of the songs. And it's the creepiest cradle song you'll ever hear. It sounds like, yeah, that would be a cradle song if um, you know, your babysitter was Rob Zombie or something. <laughs> For real. I, I think that album gets better with age and I, I think it feels more significant the more time you spend with it. I mean, definitely a diversion. Yeah. Tomahawk, but absolutely fascinating trip. Um, that was, and it was my intentions were good and my, uh, my motives were honorable. Um, I, what prompted that whole thing was, you know, when I was playing, I played with Hank Williams III like 20 years ago when he was first starting off. I played for like a year and a half, two years. We played everywhere from CBGB's to the Grand Ole Opry. And um, I remember we used to play on Indian reservations because that's where casinos are. And so a lot of, and we played festivals too. We even played the Native American Music Awards back in, I forgot what year it was, in Gallup, New Mexico. And I saw a lot of native bands and I, I was always vaguely, vaguely, I have to say disappointed, not because they weren't not because they were bad. No, they certainly, they were good professional level musicians, but um, some of it just sounded very new age to me. And some of it sounded very much like fairly conventional blues rock mm-hmm. and fairly conventional country. And I thought, well, that's weird. Why? There must be something else out there. And then literally browsing in a bookstore, I see this book, the Indians book by Natalie Curtis, who I just mentioned a minute ago, and then found these songs. I made some rough demos and they, they were all over the place. And Mike loved the idea. And we did it. I actually did an interview with an Ojibwa um, journalist on the, from the Ojibwa tribal area, I believe in upstate New York and Canada. It's funny. It goes across both borders. They, their borders are not our borders, the, the tribal things. And um, he really liked it and, and said that him and his friends, you know, jammed out to that album. So I was like, okay, thank you. So cool. Oddfellows, let's talk about the title track. Okay, that's a typical grinder of a riff, you know, slow, cyclical, kind of goes out of time and comes back in. Um, Even on the end of the song, that guitar solo is the same riff, played an octave up in triple time, like circling, cycling around even faster. Um, And it's got some big chords. Um, Just the idea of the odd fellows. I don't know about you, but they used to have the odd fellows hall in cities here and there. It was kind of, it almost seemed like an offshoot of... um, not like Goodwill or like Moose Lodge or, or, or those kind of things like this fraternal thing for adults, but why odd fellows and why, why that? And so we just thought, well, maybe we're the odd fellows, you know, well, if we are, if we're odd fellows then what are you? And that kind of ties in with the artwork, those animal caricatures drawn by Chicago's own um, Brunetti, the, the, the comic artist from Schizo, Ivan, Ivan Brunetti, Chicago guy, um, and the animals on the cover, they almost look like they're judging you. And so there was an element of judgment about this. 
And that's kind of where odd fellows and, and can we judge you tomorrow? And I guess, um, Mike, especially Mike, who was a star when he was really young, feels like, you know, he spent his whole life being judged and now we're going to judge you. <laughs> Seems only fair. I, and the reason, one of the reasons I bring that song up when I listen to it, Dwayne, this to me is the sound of a band in perfect sync. Like it's just so well produced. It's just such a tight sounding song oh, to listen you. to. That was produced by, um, by Colin Dupuy, who um, had been an engineer like for the Black Keys and he was originally from Detroit and had worked with, God, all sorts of people, Carl Cox and the techno guys and all that. And so um, that was really enjoyable. We were, we were tracking guitar, bass, and drums live, not just live together, but all in the same room. In fact, we weren't, we weren't even wearing headphones. At least I wasn't. Um, I could hear everything, and it was bleeding together nicely in a nice way. Um, so that was very enjoyable, yeah. A song that I think is one of many uh, fantastic showcases for your guitar work is Birdsong. Oh, yeah. I mean, the first part of the song is like gathering storm clouds. I, I, I love the way this song builds. And it, that sort of noisy drone intro, we referenced that very thing on the new album. There's a song called Eureka, but you haven't heard it yet. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, that was one that it was a different sort of riff. You had this driving sort of droning bass line and then this fairly minimal sort of question and answer guitar chords and then the vocals coming in. It almost sound, reminds me of Harry Nilsson that jump into the fire. Ah, I, I, I know that's not what he was thinking, but that's what it reminded me of. Um, and with that driving beat and then you've got the big dramatic ending, everything slows down. I almost thought that was veering into pomposity, like, uh, and everyone's like, no, no, it sounds great. Leave it. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, yeah, that one, that, that's a quite a, quite a banger live too. When we played it. I think one of the first songs I ever heard was sweet smell of success. Still one of my favorites. Wow. Patton's vocals are breathy and creepy and haunting and interesting on that one. And that's an unusual one too. And that it's a major key song fairly traditional in the sense that you've got this very, it's melody driven. You've got these major chords kind of going through. It's not just a, like a riff driven grinder. It's, it's definitely got a, got that, got a chorus, got a middle eight, all those things. Um, we, I don't think we've ever played that one live. It was just too hard. Uh, when you, when you as a band decide what songs to make videos for, I'm sure that's an interesting conversation. Rape this day. Um, that was just such a powerful, um, just the song. You've got that very minimal intro and then that riff just chattering away and then that thing kicks in and it's really fast and all that kind of thing. Um, I don't remember, to be honest, what sort of process went into choosing that. I, I really don't. Um, but yeah, video, and, and none of us are in it, of course, there's right. a video, but we're not in it. Though the bartender in the scene who kind of clubs the play go, playboy guy in the stomach toward the end is Nick Oliveri, formerly from Queens of the Stone Age. Um, so there is a celebrity in there. It's just not one of us. <laughs> the video is all vice and violence, really. And gambling and girls and cars and all that. Yes. So going back to the new album, which again comes out in, in a scant few weeks I, I hadn't realized how long this had been gestating with you how much did your early demos evolve 
before they turn into real songs on the album? Like, are, are the songs wildly different from your original vision? No, no. Um, because I will sit there by the time I make a demo, I have gone over that stuff again and again and again, and I have paired it and trimmed it and moved it around. And that's before I let anyone else even hear it. So by the time, and I usually start with Mike and John first, for some reason, then Kevin, not Kevin, uh, Trevor on the end. Um, because I want to see what Mike's going to think of it first, you know, because he's got to be inspired to work on lyrics and vocals and all that kind of stuff. Um, some of the songs I actually had, if you've got a good title, the song will write itself sometimes. Um, right. If you've got a title that has some vibe to it, man, it, you're rolling from there. Other times, you know, obviously it's not so easy, but um, I'm sorry. What was the, well, well, I was just asking how much the songs had changed. And I guess the simple answer <laughs> oh, is right. yeah, not yeah, much. Right. Yeah. I, 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 uh, the train of thought went past the station there. They don't. Um, so then I would typically send that off and then Mike would add vocal things and maybe add some samples and say, what do you think of that? What do you think of this? And then it's like, yay, nay. How about this? Try this. And I run it past the other guys and like, you know, then we get together typically and we'll rehearse the parts and, tweak it from there. And, and we've pretty much always done that. And, but it's very slight tweaks, very slight tweaks. So I, I really, it's not like I'm trying to dictate and control things, but this is right from the start, this was my, myself and Mike's project, you know, we, and then we, we asked these other guys to join. So um, if we both like it, then that's, that's the song, then let's go. Let's, let's fill in the blanks and, and get it out there. Before I let you go, I have to ask, you mentioned Chicago. Uh, we, of course, first came to know each other in Chicago. Yeah. Anything you miss about living here? Oh, there's always, always something. It crosses my mind. Um, I work in a library here, and I, I've had a library job for about five years now. Um, and I find myself, sometimes I'll have a lunch hour and driving. And you have, for one thing, you have to drive from where this place is to go and to get anything, whether it's food, coffee, uh, visual stimuli, whatever you can walk, but it's all just sort of a lot more open. When Chicago, you could seem like in any part of town you're in, you could walk somewhere and it, you could have things you wanted, you know, whether you wanted to buy something or eat something or get into trouble or whatever it was, there was, it was all right there and lots of different things. Nashville has changed a lot. It's become more diverse and interesting in certainly in the time I've been here. Um, but it's got a ways to go. And um, what I don't miss about Chicago is the traffic and, sure. and um, just how long it takes to get from one place to the other, any city. And it's starting to get like that here. There are certain places, certain times of day where I'll find myself and I'm like, oh, now I remember why I never do this anymore. You know, now I remember why I don't go here on during weekdays. Now I remember why. Uh, I always tell out-of-town friends when they come to Chicago. Nicest people in the world you'll ever meet in Chicago, as long as you don't drive. Oh, yes. Um, cutting people off and flipping people off is, is that just, that, that's ham and eggs. It just goes together, doesn't it? Tailgating to me is the worst. I, if there's anything more enraging than being tailgated when you're driving, I, yeah. I don't know what, what it is. Uh, that's bad. That's bad. Or you're getting tailgated because the guy in front of you is going, 10 under yes, the speed limit exactly. and, and you can't get around them. And, and, you know, yeah, we could go on and on. 
Uh, what uh, I'm tired of, while we're talking about driving, this has been on my yes. mind, James. Uh-huh. I, I'm perfectly happy to share the road with people on bicycles, but you know what? When you're at a four-way intersection with everyone has a stop sign, they need to stop too, okay? How many times have I been driving where, okay, here's the cycle, and I like, I should be turning right right now, but I know that guy's not going to stop. And sure enough, they blow right through intersections like they own it. And I want to say, no, that's not the rules. You're supposed to stop too. If you want me to respect you, you got to respect us. We all need to play by the rules of the road. Absolutely. Or it's just anarchy and chaos. Can I ask you one quick Jesus lizard question? You can ask all you want. Uh, It's an anniversary year for this album. Shot. I think people were wrong about that album. Critics, et cetera. I, I think that album still holds up. Or I think it holds up, oh, period. Right. The negativity? Yeah. Well, a lot of people just didn't even listen, to, didn't even give it a chance. They were dissing it with, before they heard it because yeah. it came out on Capitol and then not touch and go. And um, yeah, I felt, I will always feel somewhat betrayed by that. But at the same time, we all move on and do other things. Um, but if you look at, not to sit there and, you know, tub, thump my own tub, but if they had just heard like the first three songs, that, that is as rocking and as blistering as any, any opening uh, salvos for any of the other albums. Yeah. If you don't have a visceral response to Thumper, you're dead inside. Yeah. All the, and then, yeah. And uh, thumb screws. And, and uh, what's the other one? Da, da, lies, daffodils. Um, Blue shots. Blue shot. Yeah. That, those three songs in a row are as good as any three songs we did in a row on any other album. And um, people, it, it got overlooked. Part of it was, I, part of it was people just because they were indie snobs who couldn't understand why we signed to Capitol, whatever. And part of it also, I, I think somewhat to um, the music scene had changed since we started in the five years or so since we came to Chicago before that six years. Um, it was the middle of this sort of pretentious insular period where suddenly a regular rock band was suddenly just being a great rock band wasn't good enough anymore. No, we all have to be improvisers with a capital I. We all, you have to experiment with Brazilian polyrhythms and we have to do this and that. And suddenly the idea of a rock band just wasn't enough anymore. Well, it, it was so an interesting time. And I don't think people of a later generation can understand what that was like because that everything you described, it was legit and it was, it was oppressive. It yeah. was and I like, like a purity stuff. test. I like experimental stuff too, in, in, in certain amounts. I want to see the results, not just the experiment. And I even indulged in some of that at that time too, but I wasn't, I wasn't quite so judgmental about others based upon that. And suddenly just being a rock band wasn't good enough. And like, okay, well, I guess, so we ran our course and then we all went our separate ways. And then it's funny, isn't it? And then t- suddenly 2009 or so we start, we get in, but we, we never stopped getting invited to play shows. And then we show up and play them and, oh, hey, mm, they sound pretty good still. Mm. Oh, wait, what was that song? Oh, that was some of the songs from the, at that album they did on Capitol. Gee, it sounds pretty good. Uh-huh. Yeah. How many times have you been told in your lifetime that the Jesus Lizard is the greatest live band ever? <laughs> Not enough. <laughs> Not enough, Jim. No. Um, you know... It depends what people want from a concert. You know, for some people, yeah, we would be, they'd say, oh, some of the best live shows I've ever seen were you guys. And I would say, thank you. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're very kind. 
And then the other people might think, well, what do you mean by live show? I want props. I want lights. I want, you know, celebrities sitting in. I want, you know, this and that. And we didn't do that. They'd say, well, what do you mean show? So I, I think it's, it was, it was a product of its era too. And if you grew up going to punk rock clubs or underground clubs or anything and coming out of that scene and you were accustomed to the energy and excitement and just accessibility of it, then yeah, we were, that's, we were from that scene. We, that's what we liked. We were playing, we were the kind of band we wanted to see if we, when we were going out. And um, you know, it had its day. And now it's kind of back. Now I hear bands where kind of bits of it remind me of us and idols. Yeah, there we go. And we get, and I see, I'll, or I'll see a band and I see the guy playing, say an aluminum neck guitar through a high watt amp. And I thought, "Mm, I've seen that before. Who who else has done that? And you know, all these little things keep start showing up. So um, it's, it's, it's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I mentioned the word danger in relation to Tomahawk and certainly danger uh, was part of the the Jesus Lizard live experience, but that to me is rock and roll. That that feeling that things are are barely contained and you don't know what's going to happen. That unpredictability, that 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 edge, that excitement, that that the thrill of rock and roll. Part of yeah, the fun and energy, and just there's a certain apprehension too, is when things could just run off the rails at any moment. And that was also from that time when we came up. The whole the rock scene wasn't as fully. Um, stratified as it became and so when we would those early tours we didn't know what we were running into in some of those places places that we had never played and that weren't necessarily part of the accepted indie indie approved college radio approved rock scene we'd go to places and it'd be a but it's a biker hangout or it's a gay bar where they just want to hear dance music or it's a metal club where they hate us because we don't we're not metal what are you doing here Bikers, like I, I would, a biker club, I found that um, at Soundcheck, if you play R&B, like brand new Cadillac by The Clash or something, or play something, then you're okay. They won't kill you yet. And most <laughs> of them will go home before we play anyway. I learned that one a while ago. Just play some R&B or rockabilly at Soundcheck and they'll leave you alone. My God, it's like the Blues Brothers scene where they play Rawhide at the country Absolutely. in Western <laughs> It was like that. We had shows in Canada where we were pelted with ashtrays and there was literally, there was chicken wire on stage. Tomahawk, we, there's a place in Northern Ireland that had ch- chicken wire in front of it. And I was looking at the list of who else has played there and it was fairly big names like Ian Brown and all these other you know things. And, and I thought, well, that's weird. Why do they have that? Well, once, they, once the doors were open, I saw why people were climbing, like girls were climbing and like, ah, and screaming and baring their teeth at us. This is before the, the opening band has even started. Oh my God. Um, so there was an element of that. Um, at, now at my age, I'm perfectly happy to keep the danger at a somewhat of a distance. And with all the violence in American culture, I'm sort of, um, I've kind of almost had enough, but at the same time, oh, I don't know. I might have one more go around. Awesome. Well, looking ahead to Tomahawk again, the new album comes out in just a few weeks. It is called Tonic Immobility. Obviously, given the state of the world, we can't talk about tour plans or anything like that. I just have to assume that you're all just kind of in position. And when that moment strikes, you'll be there. Maybe Um, it always um, the way things have always worked for Tomahawk was we never really planned that far ahead. 
And then sure enough, offers come in. Like we don't, we don't have to go out looking for it. It's kind of nice, especially when you've got an album out, obviously. Um, but the problem with now is, okay, all the other guys play in other groups, of course, and things that got canceled last year are, have now been rescheduled for this year, at least some of them. And so that's kind of, that has to get out of the way before we even think about doing this. But, you know, you never say never. And, and um, in, a, in a way for a group like us, it kind of doesn't matter. Like we could, we don't have to go out as soon as the album drops and right. immediately try to maximize it. We could come out a year or two from now and there would, I'm sure the audiences would be there. I think. <laughs> for sure. You know, I don't know for sure, actually. Um, come to think of it. And who knows what the concert, the, the right. touring thing will be like in a couple years. Who knows? I mean, it's in fluctuation now. A lot of the mid-sized, small, mid-sized places won't make it. Um, people talk, you know, I hear talk of like, well, maybe more and more there should be more open air things and more, well, when? In the summer when it, it's, there's extreme weather everywhere now where it's just unbelievably hot and there's floods and fires everywhere. It's like biblical days <laughs> everywhere you go. Um, I don't know if that's going to work either. So um, we'll see. Maybe that'll be the new element of danger is whether right. or not, you know, lightning strikes, hailstorms. Yeah. Tight categories swept away by a hurricane, hurricane exactly. coming through. By then we'll all, you'll have solar powered sound systems and hopefully, um, or by then there won't. We'll just play acoustic guitars by candlelight and just play and go by covered wagon from town to town. That's it. And cook pork and beans over an open fire. That's right. <laughs> just like the cowboys of old. All right, Dwayne Dennison, the new Tomahawk album is on the way. Uh, you're a tremendous player, musician, songwriter. Thank you for doing this. Well, thank you, James. You've been a, a big part of the Midwest music scene, U.S. music scene. Uh, we need guys like you. To, to keep things going and to keep people enthused. And uh, my hat's off to you as well.